Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Doing well? Beautiful weather out there. Thanks for uh, uh, being here. Hope you get outside and enjoy the day. My name is Ben, if uh, we haven't uh, met. And uh, we're, we're especially thrilled to have you here today as we begin this new series called The Road. And maybe some of you are wondering, what's this about? You know, you see the road here, see the road they made at the back of the stage. Looks pretty cool. Saw the video. Maybe you've heard us talk about it. Well, this is going to be a five-week journey uh, together, and it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be enlightening and uh, hopefully life-changing uh, for you. You know, as I began uh, preparing for, for this weekend, I started uh, noticing that, you know, we, we do. We, we travel on a lot of different roads, and, and we hear about a lot of roads, you know, in movies and in songs. And so with some help from, from some friends, I put together a little bit of a, li- a list here of some movies that have road in the title or in the uh, story. And so what I want to do, I want to show you some movies, just a few of them. And if you saw it, all right, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't your favorite, okay, but if you sat through it, that kind of thing, I want, I want you to applaud, all right? And if you liked it, uh, I, want to, I want you to just go nuts, okay? All right, so um, let's see what we got here. Here's the first one, uh, Glory Road. Anybody? Yeah, great. Nobody saw it, all right? Yeah, it's about the basketball season, college basketball uh, season. All right, next one. Um, how about this one, Road Warrior? Come on. Yeah, Mad Max, uh, right there. One more here, Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Yellow Brick Road, right? It's all about following that Yellow Brick Road. Now, obviously, there's a lot of other movies, you know, about roads, but I narrowed it down to three. But you know what? There's also a lot of songs out there that talk about uh, the, the road. And so I want to I put some songs up here with a picture of the band. And if you like this song, all right, I want to hear from you, Okay. All right, all right, let's take a look at this first one here, uh, where the streets have no name. Come on, you too, come on. I know that picture's like 50 years old, but you know, you too. Doesn't get any better than that, right? All right, look, we got another one here, uh, taking it to the streets. Everybody knows that one, right? Yeah. And then uh, finally, come on, Willie, Willie Nelson on the road. That picture is also from 50 years ago. You know, Willie's still going strong, yeah. Well-preserved, isn't he? You know, and, you know, our world's got a lot of important roads, and our country has a lot of important roads. I've got a few of these roads for you. You don't have to applaud for these. These are just, these are just roads. First one here, we got Pennsylvania Avenue, you know, over in Washington, D.C., a lot of important decisions made there. And then we've got uh, Michigan Avenue down in Chicago where we have the Magnificent Mile. And, uh, and then one more, Lombardi Avenue. Yeah, let's applaud for that one up in Green Bay. All right, so, you know, we all have important roads that we've traveled down, that we've heard about, maybe we've, maybe we've heard about them in a song or, or in a movie, and you know what? You've got some roads in your life, personal roads, that are important in your story. I mean, think about the road your parents took to the hospital for your birth. That was an important road, and the road they took uh, home from the hospital. Think about the road that you took the first time you drove a car, or the road that you took on, the, on, on your way to the church to get married, or think about the road you, know, you took to the hospital to have your baby, and think about the road, and I don't mean to be morbid, but one day uh, our body is going to take a road to a cemetery. Roads are important. Roads are a big part of, of life, but what we're going to do in this series is we're going to talk about the most important road that's ever existed, because as important you know, as all these you know, roads are, they're not near as important as the road we're going to talk about because it's the road Jesus took on the last week of his life as he went into Jerusalem 
all the way to the cross. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to talk about, you know, the road a little bit here, and then I'm going to run over to Jerusalem, talk about it over there, and then I'm going to race back here and talk about it some more. No, no. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, last November, there was a little group of us that actually went over to Israel, and we shot some video over there uh, that we're going to show you. We're going to show you some of the actual roads that Jesus uh, walked. Twelve of us went on this trip, and everybody pitched in and helped with these uh, videos. We had an incredible time, and I'm so appreciative of their help. And also, a, a pastor friend of mine named Rusty George, who didn't go on the trip with us, but he's taken trips to Israel. And I'm indebted to him for his help with this trip and with this series. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to walk through many of the stops that Jesus made on the road as he traveled into, into, into Jerusalem, the final week of his life, all the way to the cross. And I want to encourage everybody to be here every weekend. You don't want to miss any of this. If you have to miss a weekend, you can watch it. Go to our website and watch it or you know, watch it on our River Glen app. But, but don't miss a weekend because I think this really has the ability to change the road that you're on. Now, here's why I think this is going to be so helpful for you is because all of us are on a road. All of us are traveling on a road right now and we have a destination, a certain destination. And you know, for many of us, we have the same destination. We want happiness we want joy. I mean, if you're married, you want a happy marriage, right? And maybe you feel like right now you're not really on that road, but you want to get on that road because you want to find happiness. If you have kids, you know, you want to have great kids, right? You want to have kids that love you. I heard about this guy, and uh, he, he said he only has two goals for his life after his kids leave. One of them is that his wife stays with him, and the second one is that his kids love him enough uh, to come home and visit him. And, you know, maybe you have that same goal, that, those, that same destination for your family that so many of us want. And all of us have a destination. We want to have great friendships that just stick with us all through life. And we want to have, we want to leave a legacy, right? So that people talk about us even after we're gone. We have these hopes and dreams. And that's the kind of road that we want to travel on. And all of us hope that one day when our life finally ends, that we get to go to heaven, right? I mean, I don't think anybody here wants to end up in hell. That's not anybody's wish. We all want the same destination. But the problem is, even though we have the same goal, you know, we, we encounter these detours, the, these roadblocks. Uh, we get sidetracked along the way, and it stops our progress. Have you noticed that? I mean, there's the difficulty of who do you listen to on the road? And, you know, what do you do if you get betrayed by somebody else? Or what if you find yourself and you can't trust anybody and you feel all alone? Or what do you do if you feel like you've taken a wrong turn on the road? All of us have these kind of moments in life, and the problem is that these moments can derail us on the road that we want to travel on and leave us in a, in a ditch. I mean, think about all your regrets in life right now. How many of your regrets resulted from a detour on the road that you wanted to travel? Regrets like, you know, I shouldn't have listened to him or her, or I never should have you know, gone there, or I shouldn't have let that bother me, or I never should have said that, and on and on it goes. Well, here's what's interesting about what I just described about our lives. Jesus lived that out in a seven-day period. Jesus lived out, you know, his entire life on this, on this earth, but in this seven-day window, we get to watch him walk down the road toward the cross, and we see him experience 
all of these very same things. So over the next five weekends, you know, we're going to watch Jesus each day of, of the final week of his life, and we're going to see Jesus experience loneliness. We're going to watch Jesus experience betrayal. We're going to see him deal with dread, and then we're going to eventually reach the destination of Easter And we're going to talk about the destination of of life. You see, what Jesus experienced the last week of his life, you and I, we experienced those things our entire life. And by looking at Jesus and, and watching him walk down the road, okay, we're going to learn how to not just walk to the grave, but walk through the grave. And so that's where we're headed in this series. Don't miss a weekend of it. And if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 21. In a few minutes, we're going to read. We're going to start there in Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to start off by talking today about the distraction of the crowds, the distraction of applause, because applause has the ability to take us off the road that we're traveling on. I want you to think about applause for a moment. Think about the power of applause. I mean, it's almost intoxicating. I know, you, know you, you may not have you know, people that walk around with you where you know, they applaud you all the time, but you know what approval feels like, right? Where, where, where somebody says, you know, good job, you know, way to go, I'm so proud of you, great work, and you want to hear more of that. You long for that. That's why applause is something that can dictate how politicians and leaders make decisions. And that's why basketball teams long for home court advantage because they want to hear the applause of people. Sometimes actors and actresses and comedians will say that applause is is almost addictive and I don't know if I can live without it. But here's the problem. Applause can be devastating when it comes from the wrong people and it causes us to make bad decisions. Do you know that Jesus dealt with this? I mean, Jesus lived his entire life with people weighing in on how they think he should, he should live his, his life. And the applause and the approval of other people constantly tried to tell Jesus, this is what you should do. You should take this magic show of performing miracles out on the road and make some money off of this. You ought to set up a store somewhere and sell some of the stuff that you can do. You should run for office. You should play to the crowd more. In fact, Jesus had people constantly weighing in on big questions that, that you and I have about life, like, you know, who am I? And, you know, what am I here to do? What am I here to accomplish? And I'm sure that there were times when Jesus felt tempted to take a shortcut and go with the applause of the crowd and to think, well, you know, maybe that's the kind of Messiah that the people need and go with public opinion. But Jesus continues to make the right choices. Isn't this something that we just, you know, all struggle with and, and deal with? Take a look at this quote here. I want to see if this resonates with you. To be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight. Isn't that the truth? You have so many voices in your life telling you, you know, how you're supposed to, to live. And guess what? You, you always hear the loudest voice, but unfortunately, it's not always the right voice. And we're going to see how Jesus deals with this distraction on his road. And we're going to talk about how it applies to our road and our lives today. And so let me uh, give you the setup for what you're about to see. Jesus is, is 33 years old and he spent the last three years of his life, you know, walking around and traveling the roads of what we uh, call 
what today we call Israel. He's been teaching people about his, his uh, heavenly father, using miracles and, and telling stories to instruct people how to follow after God. And during that process, Jesus develops some followers, some people that love him, and some people that hate him. But many people feel very excited about Jesus at this point because they've heard that he can do miracles. And so this huge crowd has gathered. And as Jesus begins his march into Jerusalem for what will be the final week of his, of his life before the crucifixion, the, the uh, applause of the crowds, the distraction of the crowd, uh, almost overwhelms everybody. And so uh, that's where we begin this part of the story on the road. So let's go over to Jerusalem and see where it begins. Standing just outside of uh, Jerusalem, which is directly behind me, you're looking at the Eastern Wall. And Jerusalem's very busy today. It's filled with a lot of people, but it was especially busy back when Jesus made his approach into the city. It's interesting, in the Bible, we read about the life of Jesus in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But about one-third of what is written about Jesus in those four books takes place in the last week of his life. And that week begins with Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem. But this time when Jesus heads into Jerusalem, it's the busiest time of the year because it's a festival time. It's a Passover. Possibly two million people gather in Jerusalem. People from all over make their way to Jerusalem to be part of the festivities to celebrate God liberating his people from Egyptian slavery. And so as people begin to converge on the city, it's comparable to a Super Bowl week, whatever city hosts the Super Bowl. Or maybe a mall right before Christmas. It's the season of brotherly shove. And these people are even more excited because they hear that Jesus will be coming. Jesus has just gained a lot of notoriety for being this miracle worker. Recently, he just healed a man named Lazarus by bringing him back from the dead. And Jesus is headed in, and people are very excited to see him. Jesus has been staying over in Bethany, which is, is to my right here, just over this hill. He's been staying there with Mary and Martha and the recently resurrected Lazarus. And on his way in, he will cross over uh, this mountain, the Mount of Olives, down through the Kidron Valley, down below there, and into Jerusalem. Let's take a look at what Matthew tells us as this story begins. Matthew 21 reads, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage, on the Mount of Olives. As they begin to cross over the Mount of Olives, you can see that they have just a spectacular view of the city. But on the way, they stop at a little town called Bethpage, and Jesus gives some specific instructions as to what to do next. And it might seem like this is random and maybe a little bit silly, but it, it is a specific fulfillment of prophecy. Let's look at it as we read uh, what happens next in Matthew 21. It continues, Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them in. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. I don't know if, if this was prearranged by Jesus while he was in Bethany, but the donkey owner seems to know that the Lord is supposed to have this. Because even Mark and Luke tell us that as the disciples approach to get the donkey, the donkey owner says, hey, what are you doing? And, you know, they say the Lord needs it. And he says, oh, okay, that's fine. That's pretty unique right there. If I sent you to the local car dealership and said, give me that black car, give me a black car with a, with a sunroof, I don't think saying that Ben said so would get you that car. But obviously, it's much different with Jesus. And when Jesus says it, it works out just fine. 
take a look at what happens next. Verse 6 says, The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt. He sat on it. Several hundred years earlier, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah actually predicts that this will happen and prophesies that the Messiah will come in riding on the back of the donkey. Seems like a rather strange way to enter, but it has huge significance. It fulfills prophecy and it also says something about the character of Jesus. He doesn't enter riding a white horse. He humbly rode a donkey. He will ride that donkey down this mountain through the Kidron Valley and to the temple. Seated on the southern steps on the southern side of the city, people would come up these steps and enter into the temple. The arches that were the doorway into the temple have been closed in, but these steps are original. They've, been, they've not been covered or preserved. These are what people would walk on back then. In fact, in 1994, Neil Armstrong visited Israel, sat on these steps and went and wept. And they asked him why, and he said, because this is better than walking on the moon. It's been a pretty impactful moment for us here as we look at these steps, as we walk these steps, knowing that we're walking the steps of Jesus. As Jesus approaches these steps to attend Passover, he comes in a much different way than ever before. Take a look at what Matthew tells us. Matthew 21, verse 6 says, The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt. He sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and other cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting. I want you to catch the image here. He's riding on a donkey. And this started clear back on the Mount of Olives. And now as he pro approaches, people run out to be around him. They line the street. It's like a victory parade. People show honor to him and begin to lay their garments on the donkey that he sat upon and also in front of the donkey. And they wave palm branches as a way to honor Jesus. And as he's coming in, people are standing around. And they're screaming, yelling, and they're applauding because they're so excited to see him. And the applause of everyone all around him. Look at what the text says here. It reads, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? Next? And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. As Jesus walks in, they're not only waving palm branches and not only laying down garments, but they're shouting this phrase, that the Lord who saves has come. They're referring to him as the Messiah, and they're applauding for him. They're thinking he's come to save us from Rome. He's come to give us back our land and our dignity. But Jesus came for so much more than that. And that moment became so overwhelming. I want you to notice how Luke points out what Jesus does next. In Luke 19, verse 41, he writes, as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. I think Jesus begins to weep because he knew of the horrible devastation that Jerusalem would face in decades to come. And I think he began to weep because he knew that many of them didn't quite get it as to why he was truly there. And I think he began to weep because he knew something that we should all learn, and that is applause only lasts so long. And these same people who cry out, Hosanna, these same people who cry out, you're the Messiah, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, be the same people just a few days later cry out, crucify. You know, when you walk around uh, Jerusalem, 
And uh, Israel, you, you spend a lot of time with tour guides, and the, the tour guide will say, well, well, there's A sites, there's B sites, and there's C sites. You say, what does that mean? Well, an A site means, you know, we, we know, we're, we're certain this is it. Jesus was here. And if it's a B site, they'll say, we're, we're pretty sure this is it. A C site, it, it may be this. And when you get to the southern steps of the temple, the tour guide will say something like, this is an A++++ site. We are absolutely certain this is it. These are the stairs that Jesus you know, walked up and went into the temple for Passover. These are the steps. This is the area where Jesus would, would, would teach from. And as you sit on those steps, I'll tell you, it just feels really powerful and overwhelming as you look around and as you visualize Jesus on a donkey riding up through the valley up into uh, Jerusalem and people, you know, lining the, 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 the streets. It said all of Jerusalem was in uproar over this. They're cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're, they're applauding him. It's the applause of, of the crowd. And you have to wonder, you know, what's going on in Jesus' mind at that moment? Because here's something interesting about the applause of this crowd when he enters Jerusalem. These people are not really wanting him to do something that's wrong, okay? They're not really wanting him to do something bad or evil. I mean, they want him to liberate their people from Roman oppression. I mean, doesn't that sound like a, a good thing uh, to do? I mean, we often talk about crowds wanting people to do the wrong things, right? We talk about peer pressure. Maybe you grew up in a home and uh, your mom was like my mom and she would, say, she would say this, hey, if your friends all, you know, jumped off a bridge, you know, would you jump off a bridge too? And if you're a smart aleck, you say, yeah, I'd wear a bungee cord. And uh, that's the wrong answer. You know, I don't recommend that, okay? The right answer is no, that's a dumb thing to do. I would never uh, do that. And sometimes the issue of following the crowd is not really about the crowd wanting you to do something evil or immoral or wrong. But here's the danger. The reason that we get so distracted by the crowds, the reason that we get so detoured by the applause and approval of other people is not because they're telling us to do something that's wrong. Oftentimes, it's because they want us to do something that's not the wisest thing to do. And that's what these people want Jesus to do. It doesn't really seem like anything immoral or evil, but it's not the best choice. It's not why Jesus came to Jerusalem. Take a look at this quote here. Just because it isn't a wrong choice doesn't mean it's the best choice. And these are the kind of decisions that you, know, you and I deal with every day, right? I mean, the wisdom of the crowd says something like, okay, you know, you have kids now. Forget about your spouse. Forget about you know, your marriage. Focus on your kids. You know, raise great kids. Okay, it's not necessarily wrong to, uh, uh, that's not necessarily wrong, but is it really the best choice to neglect your marriage? Or maybe you hear this line of thinking from the crowd. The crowd says, you know what? You got kids now. You got to provide for them so they can, you know, do these experiences so they can have all this stuff. And so you work 24-7 and you neglect them and you say it's okay because you're doing it for them. And that might be, you know, okay, but is that really the best decision, the wisest way to live? Or think about the old saying, the busier you are, the better because you're staying out of trouble and you're making things happen and you're setting a, an example of a, of a good work ethic, that might be a good idea, but is that really the best idea? See, the difficulty that many of us have with decision-making is not choosing between good and bad, it's choosing between good and great. I'll tell you, I wrestle with this you know, all the time. 
I think we all wrestle with this. You know, what is the best choice to make? Because we're, we want to please so many people, right? I mean, I, I've got family at home, and I want to make them happy. I've got a, a church board, an elder team. We call it an elder team that I report to, and I want to make them happy. We've got a church staff here that I help lead, and I want to make, I want to make them happy. We, we have about 1,500 people that attend here on the weekends, and I want every single one of them to be happy, which that never happens. And some of you are so kind as to tell me. And I've got extended family, you know, other places around the country, and I want to make them happy too. There's this pressure, isn't there, to make everybody happy. Do you, do you feel that pressure? Do you live with that tension? And sometimes the loudest voice or the critical voice is the only voice we listen to. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus shows us something here that has the ability to change the distraction that we have from the crowds. And and here's the first principle that we learn from Jesus about how to walk down the road of life. Uh, Here it is. Live for an audience of one. Okay, And that's not you. All right, Live for an audience of one. And that one, that's not your boss. That's not your spouse. That's not your kids. That's not you. Something I love about Jesus, you know, in this part of the story is despite all the applause, you know, despite all the great things that people are saying about him as they line the streets and and they're heaping words of praise on him, Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus listens to one voice and it's not the crowd, it's the voice of his heavenly father. It's the voice of the one who sent him in the first place and that's exactly what we need to do is to live for an audience of one. I like the way that King Solomon puts it in Proverbs 29. He says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Here's another version of that same verse from the message. Uh, I, I love this one too. The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. Somebody uh, told me one time that flattery is like chewing gum. You know, enjoy it briefly, but don't swallow because it doesn't last. And the people that are singing your praises right now, eventually they'll probably be cursing you because that's just the way we are with each other. And Jesus shows us here something very important on day one of the road. And that is as we live our lives among a crowd to live for an audience of one. See, see the danger many of us have with decision making, the danger that many of us have with the noise and the crowd is not, you know, is not necessarily making bad decisions. Many of us can figure out, okay, that's a bad thing. I'm not going to do that. It's the good decisions that often drown out the great ones. What's the best thing to do? What's the wisest decision to make? And the only way for you to know that is to live for an audience of one. There's something about that principle that helps you focus. I've been reading this book. It's called When People Are Big and God is Small. And the book talks about how, you know, you know, many of us get addicted to approval where everybody else's opinion matters more than God's. I wanted to show you this, just this little quote from the, from the book. It says, what or who you need will control you. And, you know, many of us want approval from other people. We care about what other people think. And to an extent, that's healthy. But Jesus shows, here, shows us here that when you need God more than people... When you value God's opinion more than other people's, you can begin to live for an audience of one. And there's something freeing about that. There's, there's something liberating 
about that. You know, I mentioned that there were a group of 12 of us in November that we went over to Israel. And we spent about nine days traveling and walking the roads that, that Jesus walked all over Israel. And we saw lots of, of locations. We saw the Sea of Galilee, which was where Jesus spent most of his time. And it was just incredible. We got on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And we went to the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. And Capernaum where Peter came from. And the Dead Sea and Jericho and lots of places. One day we went into Palestine. We, we, we went to Bethlehem, which was probably one of the biggest surprises for me because I thought Bethlehem would be this little place, you know, like the Christmas carol, you know, a little town of Bethlehem. And there, there were hundreds of thousands of people in Bethlehem and very congested downtown, lots of noise, lots of, lots of crowds. And then we, the last three days we spent in Jerusalem and it was just incredible, but very congested traffic, crowds, vendors on the street corners, you know, trying to get your attention. Now, here's the problem, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm the, the leader, I'm responsible, I'm the host uh, for the trip, but I've never been to Israel before, you know? I, I don't know my way around. And I don't know their culture or their currency or their laws, and I don't speak their language, I don't, I don't read it. And so, I, I mean, I felt some pressure. I felt burdened until... I got there, and I, I met our tour guide uh, named uh, Danny. Danny's lived in Israel for all his life. He's worked as a tour guide for 35 years, and uh, I became quick friends with uh, Danny. He, he did an amazing job uh, guiding us all, all along uh, the way. Uh, many years ago, he, uh, he gave Reggie White, you know, he gave Reggie White a, a, a tour, became friends with, with uh, Reggie White, and, and so he's a Green Bay Packer fan, uh, Danny, a great, great uh, fit uh, as a tour guide uh, for us. So I took a picture one day of this uh, angle of Danny because this was my view most of the week. Right here, yeah. I just followed Danny, you know. I trusted him. And that may sound boring uh, to you to, to just follow him, but it became liberating because I didn't have to worry about getting lost and getting the group lost. I didn't have to constantly read a map to know where... I, I was, I could look around, I could enjoy the, the sights, I could talk and, and get to know uh, the other people on the, on the trip because all I needed to do was look at this, at who was in front of me. I followed one. I followed Danny. And see, destinations matter, but not near as much as who you follow. I mean, destinations are important, right? And all of us have the same destinations. I mean, we want joy, we want happiness, we want peace, we want heaven. But you know what matters more than that? It's who you follow. And Jesus decides to follow one. And he models for us on day one of the road the importance of living for an audience of one. And as we start this, this series, as we start going down this road together, here's what I'm asking you to do. Decide, I'm going to follow one, my heavenly father, and Jesus, his son, will lead me and take me where I need to go. Because the crowds are going to continue to chant and try to tell me what to do, and at times the crowd may distract me, but I've decided I am living for an audience of, of one, and I will go wherever Jesus leads me. Now, there are two ways that we express our decision to, to follow Jesus and live for an audience of one. One of those decisions is baptism. And we just baptized a bunch of people 
a couple of weeks ago. It was a, it was a great uh, celebration. Maybe some of you are, are interested. Maybe some of you are thinking about getting baptized. We're planning to do b- uh, baptisms Easter weekend at the, at the end of this series. And uh, just a great, wouldn't that be a great weekend to take this step and decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live for an audience of one. And then each weekend we um, renew our commitment, our decision uh, by sharing communion together. Communion reminds us that after Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday that we just talked about five days later on Friday, he goes to the cross and sacrifices himself to forgive our sins and make us right with God. And the communion bread represents Christ's body. The, the juice represents Christ's blood. Communion's new to you. You know, you can take a pass on it. That's fine. But if you have, have made this decision, I would encourage you to, to participate, to express your desire to follow Jesus and live for an audience of one. Let me pray for us. God, I'm, I'm so thankful for the way that, that Jesus dealt with crowds. He loved them. He cared for them. He wept for them. But he was not swayed by them. He stayed focused on what matters most, which was obeying you. And Father, I know for all of us who are in this room, we have so many voices telling us what to do and and where to go and how to behave and how to live. And oftentimes the loudest or the closest voice gets our attention more. But God, we want to be people that simply follow after you and live for an audience of one. And so God, over these uh, next few uh, moments as we share communion, would you just impress upon our hearts and our minds what matters most? And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.